You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in to 3CR's program Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Behind Closed Doors. Today we'll be speaking with Cheryl Overs and Estelle Lucas who are lobbying and advocating for sex workers' rights. Cheryl, Estelle, welcome to Behind Closed Doors. Thanks Dean, it's lovely to be with you. Thank you Dean for your time. Estelle, let's begin with you. When did you start advocating for sex workers' rights? I probably started sex worker rights when I was about 23 years old. Somehow managed to assemble a sex worker organization called Red Files Incorporated, which is a non-for-profit charity that focuses on harm minimization and violence prevention for sex workers in the industry. And we use online technology as our weapon of choice to deal with those issues. And I've been doing that for, I guess, at least seven years. And Cheryl, the work you've done in the realm of sex worker advocacy has been incredibly extensive. Can you share your history of advocacy with us? Well, try to do it really quickly. The problem is I'm old, so it takes a long time. (laughs) So first of all, I was younger than Estelle. I was only about 17 when I started um, activating on sex worker rights and then set up sex worker organisation in Melbourne called Hatirai, which then became the Prostitutes Collective of Victoria. Then we'd set up the Scarlet Alliance. Then I went overseas and I worked to set up the International Network of Sex Work Projects. And then I left that position. So I'm a serial founder I kept founding these organisations, running them for a year or two and then moving on. Then what I did was moved out of the NSWP and I worked for large international development agencies working on setting up sex worker programs in various countries throughout the developing world. I've worked on and off for the World Health Organisation and UNAIDS doing that. Now, work a little bit at the uh, Michael Kirby Centre at Monash when I'm in Australia. What keeps you so passionate about all of this? I'm not that passionate anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the problems continue and the outrage continues. I mean, the, the things that happen to sex workers and the fact that we've been systematically ignored for for four decades that I've been at it is certainly enough to keep you fired up if you want to be. In the case of Victoria, though, now, I'm not so much passionate as excited. And I'm excited about the review 
because I've seen so many law reform processes that you could also almost tell from the beginning were kind of doomed. This one, I don't think it is. I think it's actually got, we've got a really good chance this time. And the fact that it's in my hometown and I happen to be here and <laughs> means that I'm just really, really excited about what might come out of this. We all know 2020 is going to be a pivotal year for sex workers' rights, especially here in the state of Victoria. And we've mentioned this often on Behind Closed Doors. Can you both kindly reiterate why 2020 is such a big year for sex workers? I can speak on that. So 2020 is the year of the review for decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. And we haven't had that opportunity to even talk about that law for like 20 years. I think it's 20 years, Cheryl. No, more. More. 30. 30. I think about how much the industry has changed year by year just by me working in it and with the age of the internet and how how readily we need to put out laws that that have to do with the internet because the internet's constantly evolving and of course sex work is evolving with the internet so to finally have an up-to-date Victorian law that considers all aspects of the industry I think this is the first time in my lifetime that I've seen a chance to speak up about this and have my say and direct the political shift in a way. For me, there's a huge irony in that we told them in 1985 what not to do. We told them what to do. They didn't do it. It was a total mess. And now we can say the same thing again 30 years later. So that's very frustrating and annoying. But, you know, the ducks really are lined up. Is that the right expression? The Labor Party has decriminalisation in its platform. The terms of reference of the review are how to decriminalise sex work, not if. Fiona Patton herself has got an excellent record of getting through controversial legislation. She gets all the issues. You know, Fiona, of course, is a contemporary of mine from the old days when she was working and so was I. And if we can't get it right now, you know, we never will. I mean, it really is a it, it is a big year for sex workers. The issue about technology, I just wanted to talk a bit about, Dean. It's interesting for me, looking at all the laws, I've just, what I've done is I didn't read much about Australia in the 30 years I was away. And I've come back and I've read everything all in one go. And what I think is interesting is that In that that time, you can see how the laws and all the services and everything were all set up when there was a heroin pandemic, when there was panic about AIDS, where there was panic about sex trafficking, where there was panic about organised crime. They're all issues from the 1980s. We know sex trafficking is not a big issue. HIV is under control. Organised crime, well, I don't know. I mean, I've watched Underbelly. I don't know what the rest of it is. I mean, presumably it's not such a big thing anymore. You know, so these, and the heroin epidemic is passed and there are good harm reduction services. So all the justifications for that, for, for the way things were, are all set back in the 1980s. It's not surprising that a law that was fit for those purposes is no longer fit for current purposes. But there's another problem, a huge problem that we've really kind of looked at. And that is that when we first thought about the difference between decriminalisation and legalisation, we came to a definition of decriminalisation, right? Everybody knows that it was there Mm -hmm. right from the start. It was very much inspired by 
experiences in Germany where they made legal brothels in the 1970s. That was to say that the sex worker rights movement demanded criminalisation, which was the removal of criminal laws and then governing the sex work with normal business laws, right? That's been our agreed definition of decriminalisation for decades. But when we created that, ordinary business laws were quite different and we didn't have the internet. So now we come to look at how to create laws, how to govern the sex industry with normal business laws. Normal business laws are very, very intrusive now. So, for example, it's very difficult to see how you can work as a normal worker once sex work is work because normal workers have to all give their names for things. Normal workers have to give get permissions for things you know, and so on. So all of those regulations that apply to other workers, you know, we live in a big brother society. They're actually quite intrusive. So how sex workers are going to fit into modern business regulations is not straightforward. Which brings both of you onto our show today to talk about something you're both involved in called Sex Workers Voices Victoria. What is this project and what are its aims? Sex Workers Voices Victoria is a pop-up project that's only going to be around for about two months. It's leaded by Cheryl and Bibi from the Michael Kirby Centre of Public Health and Human Rights. Obviously, they don't know everything, so they got everyone else on board that they could, advocates, activists. They invited me in my capacity as a worker for Red Files, especially because this pandemic was happening and they realised, oh no, we can't reach sex workers through normal means and it's even more harder than normal because everyone's indoors and this is an unprecedented time. So who are we going to talk to to get better access to sex workers and get their voices uplifted? So that's when I came into the project and offered my expertise and, you know, this the Red Files Network is 700 sex workers strong. So we can definitely push things online. Cheryl and Vivi are both very, very articulate and smart at what they do but they are boomers unfortunately (laughs) they are boomers so there is a little bit of like you know I think you know there is a little bit of a disconnect so I think it is important to have those young voices in as well to sort of gap that divide and be like actually no one's going to listen to you if you do it like that or you know there needs to be a very push on the communication strategy that it has to be online all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of that's kind of my role with Sex Workers Voices Victoria. But there's other people who have, you know, 30 years experience or um, sex work law reform. Victoria has been focusing on the issue of law reform for two years. So they mm. understand the principal laws and like the things mm. that I've sat there and gone, oh my God, I didn't consider the difference between regulation and act and all this sort of stuff. So everyone's bringing something great to the table and now it's our turn to get everyone else onto the table, all the other sex workers, to get their voices, their lived experiences and to translate that into policy and law that is going to benefit them and their quality of life and in their line of work. It sounds like there's a huge team of people, of experts in their field as well as people with lived experience. Estelle, you mentioned the Michael Kirby Center for Public Health and Human Rights. Which university is a part of? So the Michael Kirby Center for Public Health and Human Rights is an attachment to Monash University, which, as 
many people will understand is a quite prestigious university in, in Victoria. So the great thing about that is that they are independent. They are going to deal with information at a university academic standard. That rigorous detail of confidentiality and mm. privacy, I think, has been pushed into Cheryl's head from the first day she was at university. It is an absolutely fantastic team. It's very funny. The different skills and and so on. I think what Bibi and I mainly feel as older people who've worked on sex work law reform, and of course Bibi's a professor of law, uh, and Bibi wrote many of the original regulations because she was working in the health department at the time back in last century. Uh, and so I think one of the things that we're really interested in is getting down to some really very time-consuming and very detailed legal research. You know, so often we, we don't get that opportunity to do that as sex workers. We in sex worker rights advocacy, you know, we often don't drill down into these details of law. And now is really the time to do that. But if we don't do it, then I suppose the the public servants will do that and perhaps they will not capture the right result and they might miss the mark, which is why it's important for sex workers to do that process. With the people involved, are they sex workers or allies or a mixture of both? Only one non-sex worker in the group, I think, which is the law professor. So the majority are either current or former sex workers? Everybody except one, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so informative chatting with Estelle and Cheryl today on Behind Closed Doors. Let's have a short announcement and we will be back with Cheryl Overs and Estelle Lucas from Sex Workers Voices Victoria. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Hi everyone, we've been chatting with Estelle Lucas who founded the peer-led sex worker violence prevention charity Red Files. Also with us is Cheryl Overs who founded Scarlet Alliance in 1988 and the Prostitutes Collective of Victoria in the 1980s. Cheryl is the Adjunct Senior Research Fellow at the Michael Kirby Centre for Public Health and Human Rights. Both Cheryl and Estelle are now with us on Behind Closed Doors to announce their new project connected to Fiona Patton's Sex Work Review. This project is currently underway in Victoria, and it's called Sex Workers Voices Victoria. In relation to this project, what do you actually want sex workers to do? I'm going to be hounding every sex worker that I know, because I know a lot of them don't know what's happening. They don't know when it's happening. They don't know how it's happening. The first thing that I want sex workers to do is visit swvoicesvic.com, as this will be the central point for all our information that has to do with the review that Sex Workers Voices is working on. That will include things like the background paper. This is something that Cheryl has written, and it is great. It is a comprehensive document that really details each of the sections that the review is looking at, a little bit about the history, a little bit about the status quo, and a little bit about what we need to do to get the desired outcome. So this is a really great place to start. You can, one, get up to date with what's happening, and then to feel a little bit more empowered to have your say. The thing that I would want sex workers to do 
is watch the film that we helped organize with Fiona Patton's team, where she speaks about some of the considerations that are going to be coming up during this review. There will be a Vimeo link for that on the website and sex workers are free to comment their questions and their curiosities. And so that will almost be a submission in of itself because those are the things that Fiona's team will have to deal with. What we're doing here is we're creating a lot of access points for different people. We've got stuff that is visual. We have stuff that is written. We have things that are just click and go. The next thing that we'll have is also a, we're going to have a community, online community meeting. So we can talk about this as sex workers. We're going to have online workshops so we can really uh, work together to talk about how to get submissions done. What sort of things do they need to hear? How do you give a good recommendation or a a recommendation that's going to go over the line? For example, we've also got surveys. You know, all of this is going to be translated as well to other accessible languages. So no one's sort of left out. We've got an FAQ page, which kind of outlines things like how to do a template submission in its like most simplest form. And I also want sex workers to tell all their friends because I am very keen to hear from every single sex worker. And as we've seen from other places that have decriminalization, there are sometimes sex workers who get left behind. And I don't want that to happen in Victoria. So will there be more social media presence such as Facebook and Twitter? There will be a Facebook page where there will be updates on key dates as well as information on how to engage with the process and you can ask questions, you can have discussions. There'll also be a Twitter page that is dedicated to that. We're using these platforms because they're kind of the main ones that sex workers use. Unfortunately, we can't be on everyone because it's just we don't have enough resources We're trying to create as many access points, points of entry for people to engage with this review process. I also want to mention that there are sex worker, there are other sex worker organizations like Vixen and Scarlet who are doing their own consultation process. And I would highly encourage people to also engage with that. We are working in parallel with them because we have the same goals and we want to get as many sex worker voices involved in this review process as possible. I think we are really complementing each other in our work by trying to create as many access points and engagement processes for sex workers. For our listeners, we will add links to your website on our Twitter account, which is at BCD3CR. So we've been discussing the project Sex Workers Voices Victoria with Estelle Lucas and Cheryl Overs. We've been informed that there is a website and also a Facebook and Twitter account. What I would like to know is how can people make submissions to the Victorian government's sex work review and when is the deadline? The deadline for official submissions, so there are several ways people can do it. Vixen will be doing, I'm sure, a big substantial submission, as as Joel mentioned, and people can contact them and go in through that way. People can go in through one of our social media ways or people can just contact the review directly. But contacting the review directly means your submission has to be in, written submission has to be in by July 17. So that's not long at all. We'll have a little bit longer for sex workers specific submissions just because we've made a bit of a fuss about the ridiculously short consultation period. You know, one of the things is that a submission will go to public servants and it will be read along with submissions from the police, from churches, from local councils, unions and 
what hospitals, whatever. Whereas they're not very well set up to consider individual submissions from people. It, in a way, it's kind of just for logistics, it's better to combine with other sex workers and make a kind of united stand on specific topics. Can people still do an individual submission? Oh, absolutely. On our website, there is the information about how to submit directly to the review. I think that one of the things that's reasons it's, it's exciting to have Fiona in that position is because it's really good to be able to speak in a, to somebody in a way that you know you will be understood rather than speaking to somebody whose job it is to read submissions to the Victorian government and one day they're reading a submission on sex work and the next day they're reading a submission on new drainage. So, you know, they don't have that expertise to really understand what we're trying to say. But, you know, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that the system is not really well set up to listen to individual sex workers. I think one of the important recommendations and one of the things that sex workers need to demand of the Victorian government is that the end of this review and its recommendations for decriminalisation shouldn't be the end of the process. Sex workers still need to be involved in how that pans out because recommendations then become a bill and they then go through you know, both houses of parliament and they get amended. So it's a very long process between the end of the review and a new law being passed. That consultation process has to keep going in some form. It looks like there is a lot involved in this whole process. Who actually decides how the collected information will be presented to Fiona Patton and her team? We're doing it in a couple of ways. We'll be collating information into a single submission, but we'll also be supporting groups of sex workers to be doing specific submissions as well. For example, I know that there's uh, one group is working on a submission particularly about migrant sex work. Now, you've both shared so much information today with our listeners. I'm pretty sure people have lots of questions and interest in your group, Sex Workers Voices Victoria. How can people get in touch with you? Everything should be answered in our FAQs and those nitty-gritty questions should all be there because we're trying to save time because we only have a month. People will have a chance to have a discussion in a Zoom webinar that we're planning so they can join that. We don't know how many people, you know, want help in speaking to the government. You know, maybe maybe people will be able to do submissions through Vixen and through their own resources, in which case we'll be working hard on submissions that we are supporting. From what I know, there are quite a few groups already in the sex worker community putting together their own submissions. And as you've mentioned before, Estelle and Cheryl, we only have a month to do this. So we're all pretty time crunched. There is a lot of work to do. So you know, we've all just got to get on with it and and just do the best we can to meet the uh, July deadline. And submission writing is also a little bit of an art to it. Like you've got to, um, I mean, you don't have to, but the more recommendations that are concrete you give, the better the public servant can translate that into something else. And the recommendations have to be within the realm of legal possibility. Can't be too far. I mean, they can be a bit far-fetched, but they're less likely to get over the line. So my, my example for that is in core laws. Um, Cheryl mentioned that, you know, we want to be treated just like every other business, but I don't think any other 
business that operates a service at home doesn't have any regulation. That's how I understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we're looking at is how to fit the sex industry in to a regulatory framework that all other businesses fit into. And it really doesn't happen automatically. It's really quite complex that we're looking at planning regulations and we're looking at health regulations. Given that some regulations are going to have to apply and that that's, as I said before, well within the definition of decriminalisation, those regulations need to be as unintrusive and as realistic as possible and they need to infringe on sex workers' privacy as little as possible. And what I mean by that is the worst case scenario of registration, of course, is a central register where everybody's names have to be put down and permission can be given or withheld to work uh, and mandatory testing and all that form of registration. But there's other forms of registration where people only have to notify the council, for example, that a building's being used in a certain way. The council don't get the right to say no. So if you're a tattooist, for example, you are allowed to work at home. The council can't tell you you can't, but you are obligated to tell the council that you're tattooing at home. So we're looking at all those, at, at all of those kinds of things. We're looking at all the the uh, planning regulations and we're looking at the health regulations as well in respect of uh, not just of sexual health but also of health and safety in the workplace. And I have to say, the more I look at it, the more shocked I am at how many regulations you have to, <laughs> to comply with just to open a door and have somebody come in and cut their hair and give you 20 bucks. That in itself attracts just so much regulation. One of the things that I thought Fiona Patton said that was really interesting was about the uh, sacrificing the perfect for the good. And I think what Fiona's thinking there and what she's worried about is the idea that sex workers would, like all workers, would ideally like no regulations whatsoever. And some people understand decriminalisation to mean that, to mean no regulation, no laws, sex workers shouldn't have to give anybody their name, they shouldn't have to register, they shouldn't have, no one should have to get licences, there should be nothing. And that's not going to happen. So what is going to happen? If, if that's ideal, no regulation, and I don't think there's a single worker in, you know, that doesn't want fewer regulations, then we have to work out what formula is workable. So we can't just say, don't regulate the sex industry at all. And therein lies a whole, that. and once you accept that, a whole nest of mm. problems opens up. And there's a big myth that those problems have been solved in New Zealand and in uh, New South Wales. It's completely untrue. New Zealand still has licensing. The owners of brothels have to be certified as being suitable people, migrants aren't allowed to work, people living with HIV, or certain migrants, people with HIV aren't allowed to work. In New South Wales, there's an entire system of registration that's patchy across different councils and is enforced in some places and not in others. But neither of those are ideal solutions. There's no place where sex work is not regulated at all. So it's kind of like having to 
to pick off a menu of on which nothing's absolutely ideal. Oh my gosh, there's so much work to be done and I really don't envy the both of you in the amount of work that you know you're going to be undertaking. I'm so proud that both of you are doing this and being such leaders in our community to take on this monumental and historic challenge. Before we wrap up for today, is there anything else you would like to add, Estelle or Cheryl? Sorry, I seem to have talked a lot. There's something I really want to add. And we were talked about passion at the start. And I'll tell you I, what I'm really passionate about. I had a moment of absolute outrage the other day when I realised this. I just came to me. And what I thought was, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, I was in a bedroom in Northcote with a budget of zero doing sex worker rights activism. And we set up the PCV out of that. So then I went away for 30 years and then I came back and I find that sex worker activists are primarily on the same budget that I was on then, which is zero, in living in the same circumstances that I was living in then. And that is outrageous. In 30 years, the sex worker rights movement in Australia or in Melbourne, I don't know about other places I've only been in Melbourne, but the sex worker rights movement is still so incredibly under-resourced. And not only that, because all of the money gone, as I mentioned before, to trafficking, to helping people leave sex work, to drugs, to homelessness, and primarily, of course, to preventing HIV and STIs. All that money's gone to organisations that do all that work, and no money's gone to sex worker rights groups. And at the same time, those you know, highly professionalised organisations, some of them government, have taken over the advocacy space. So I just I'm quite outraged and I really want to see what comes out of the review is it root and branch reform of the way in which services are delivered to sex workers in, in Victoria and the way in which spaces are made for sex worker rights advocacy. Because right now, it's not sex worker centred at all. Sex workers are marginal in the Victorian policy and lawmaking process. And that's absolutely outrageous. It was fine in 1980 when I was doing it. To find it in 2020, I'm just absolutely horrified. So I really want to say to anybody listening who does do submissions through whatever organisation, really press that point home. Sex workers need a central role in advocacy and in delivering the services because there's millions and millions of dollars being given to other people still to minister to sex workers and that all needs to be reformed. That's my hobby horse and passionate point. Thank you so much, Cheryl and Estelle, for chatting with us on Behind Closed Doors, Australia's only sex worker radio show. Thanks so much, Dean. Thank you so much. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BCD3CR for all the links to Sex Workers Voices Victoria so we can support them and be part of this great moment in history. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital radio. Join us again next Thursday, 6pm, when Kitty Galore and I chat with parliamentarian David Limbrick.